section sixteen of celebrated travels and travelers volume three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by michelle fry baton rouge louisiana celebrated travels and travelers volume three the great explorers and travelers of the nineteenth century by jules verne first part chapter two part two the exploration and colonization of africa nine following the advice of this chief the travelers passed the fine town of atta without stopping and halted at abagaka where the river divides into several branches and whose chief showed insatiable greed refusing to halt at several villages whose inhabitants begged for a sight of the white strangers they were finally obliged to land at the village of demugo where a little man wearing a waistcoat which had once formed part of a uniform hailed them in english crying out halloa ho you english come here he was an emissary from the king of bonnie come to buy slaves for the master the chief of demugo who had never before seen white men received the explorers very kindly held public rejoicings in their honor and detained them with constant fetes until the fourth november although the fetish consulted by him presaged that they would meet with a thousand dangers before reaching the sea this monarch supplied them with an extra canoe some rowers and a guide the sinister predictions of the fetish were soon fulfilled john and richard lander were embarked in different boats as they passed a large town called curie they were stopped by war canoes each containing forty men wearing european clothes minus the trousers each canoe carried what at first sight appeared to be the union jack flying from a long bamboo cane fixed in the stern a four or six pounder was lashed to each prow and every black sailor was provided with a musket the two brothers were taken to Kiri, where a palaver was held upon their fate. Fortunately, the Malams, or Mohammedan priests, interfered in their favor, and some of their property was restored to them, but the best part had gone to the bottom of the river with John Lander's canoe. To my great satisfaction, says Lander, I immediately recognized the box containing our books and one of my brother's journals. The medicine chest was by its side, but both were filled with water. A large carpet-bag, containing all our wearing apparel, was lying cut open, and deprived of its contents with the exception of a shirt, a pair of trousers, and a waistcoat. Many valuable articles which it had contained were gone. The whole of my journal, with the exception of a notebook with remarks from Rabba to this place, was lost. Four guns, one of which had been the property of the late Mr. Park, four cutlasses, and two pistols, were gone nine elephants tusks the finest i had seen in the country which had been given to us by the kings of wauwau and busa a quantity of ostrich feathers some handsome leopard skins a great variety of seeds all our buttons cowries and needles which were necessary for us to purchase provisions with all were missing and said to have been sunk in the river this was like going down in port 
after crossing africa from badagery to busa escaping all the dangers of navigating the niger getting free from the hands of so many rapacious chiefs to be shipwrecked six days journey from the sea to be made slaves of or condemned to death just on the eve of making known to europe the results of so many sufferings endured so many dangers escaped so many obstacles happily surmounted to have traced the course of the niger from busa to be on the point of determining the exact position of its mouth and then to find themselves stopped by wretched pirates was really too much and bitter indeed were the reflections of the brothers during the interminable palaver upon their fate although their stolen property was partially restored to them and the negro who had begun the attack upon them was condemned to be beheaded the brothers were none the less regarded as prisoners and they were marched off to obi king of the country who would decide what was to be done with them it was evident that the robbers were not natives of the country but had only entered it with a view to pillage they probably counted on trading in two or three such market towns as Kiri, if they did not meet with any boats but such as were too strong to be plundered for the rest all the tribes of this part of the niger seemed to be at daggers drawn with each other and the trade in provisions was carried on under arms after two days row the canoes came in sight of ibo at a spot where the stream divided into three rivers of great width with marshy level banks covered with palm trees an hour later one of the boatmen a native of ebo cried there is my country here fresh difficulties awaited the travellers obi king of ebo a young man with a refined and intelligent countenance received the white men with cordiality his dress, which reminded his visitors of that of the king of Yoruba, was adorned with such a quantity of coral that he might have been called the Coral King. Obi seemed to be affected by the account the English gave of the struggle in which they had lost all their merchandise, but the aid he gave them was by no means proportioned to the warmth of the sentiments which he expressed. Indeed, he let them all but die of hunger. The Ibo people, says the narrative, like most africans are extremely indolent and cultivate yams indian corn and plantains only they have abundance of goats and fowls but few sheep are to be seen and no bullocks the city which has no other name than the ebo country is situated on an open plain it is immensely large contains a vast population and is the capital of a kingdom of the same name it has for a series of years been the principal slave mart for native traders from the coast between the bonny and old calabar rivers and for the production of its palm oil it has obtained equal celebrity hundreds of men from the rivers mentioned above come up for the purpose of trade and numbers of them are at present residing in canoes in front of the town most of the oil purchased by englishmen at the bonny and adjacent rivers is brought from thence as are nearly all the slaves which are annually exported from those places by the french spaniards and portuguese it has been told us by many that the ebo people are confirmed anthropophagi and this opinion is more prevalent among the tribes bordering on that kingdom than with the natives of more remote districts from what the travellers could learn it was pretty certain that obi would not let them go without exacting a considerable ransom he may doubtless have been driven to this by the importunity of his favourites but it was more likely the result of the greed of the people of bonnie and brass who quarrelled as to which tribe should carry off the english to their country a son of the chief of bonnie king pepper a native named gunn 
brother of King Boy, and their father King Forday, who with King Jacket governed the whole of the brass country, were the most eager in their demands, and produced as proofs of their honorable intentions the testimonials given to them by the European captains with whom they had business relations. One of these documents, signed James Dow, captain of the brig Susan of Liverpool, and dated from the most important river of the brass country, September 1830, ran thus, quote, Captain Dow states that he never met with a set of greater scoundrels than the natives generally, and the pilots in particular, end quote. It goes on in a similar strain, heaping curses upon the natives and charging them with having endeavored to wreck Dow's vessel at the mouth of the river with a view to dividing his property amongst them. King Jacket was designated as an errant rogue and a desperate thief. Boy was the only one of common honesty and trustworthiness. After an endless palaver, Obie declared that according to the laws and customs of the country, he had a right to look upon the landers and their people as his property, but that, not wishing to abuse his privileges, he would set them free in exchange for the value of twenty slaves in English merchandise. This decision, which Richard Lander tried in vain to shake, plunged the brothers into the depths of despair, a state of mind soon succeeded by an apathy and indifference so complete that they could not have made the faintest effort to recover their liberty. Add to these mental sufferings the physical weakness to which they were reduced by want of food, and we shall have some idea of their state of prostration." without resources of any kind robbed of their needles cowries and merchandise they were reduced to the sad necessity of begging their bread but we might as well have addressed our petitions to the stones or trees says lander we might have spared ourselves the mortification of a refusal we never experienced a more stinging sense of our own humbleness and imbecility than on such occasions and never had we greater need of patience and lowliness of spirit in most African towns and villages we had been regarded as demigods, and treated in consequence with universal kindness, civility, and veneration. But here, alas, what a contrast! We were classed with the most degraded and despicable of mankind, and are become slaves in a land of ignorance and barbarism, whose savage natives have treated us with brutality and contempt." End quote. It was Boy who finally achieved the rescue of the landers, for he consented to pay the O.B. the ransom he demanded for them and their people. Boy himself was very moderate, asking for nothing in return for his trouble, and the risk he ran in taking the white men to brass, but fifteen bars, or fifteen slaves, and a barrel of rum. Although this demand was exorbitant, Lander did not hesitate to write an order on Richard Lake, captain of an English vessel at anchor in Brass River, for thirty-six bars. The King's Canoe, on which the brothers embarked on 12th November, carried sixty persons, forty of whom were rowers. It was hollowed out of a single tree trunk, measured more than fifty feet long, carried a four-pounder in the prow, an arsenal of cutlasses and grape-shot, and was laden with merchandise of every kind the vast tracts of cultivated land on either side of the river showed that the population was far more numerous than would have been supposed the scenery was flat open and varied and the soil a rich black mould produced luxuriant trees and green shrubs of every shade at seven p m on the eleventh november the canoe left the chief branch of the niger and entered the brass river an hour later richard lander recognized with inexpressible delight tidal waves 
a little further on boy's canoe came up with those of gunn and forday the latter was a venerable-looking old man in spite of his wretched semi-european semi-native clothing and a very strong predilection for rum of which he consumed a great quantity although his manners and conversation betrayed no signs of excessive drinking that was a strange escort which accompanied the two englishmen as far as the town of brass the canoes says lander were following each other up the river in tolerable order each of them displaying three flags in the first was king boy standing erect and conspicuous his headdress of feathers waving with the movements of his body which had been chalked in various fantastic figures rendered more distinct by its natural colour his hands were resting on the barbs of two immense spears which at intervals he darted violently into the bottom of the canoe as if he were in the act of killing some formidable wild animal under his feet in the bows of all the other canoes fetish priests were dancing and performing various extraordinary antics their persons as well as those of the people with them being chalked over in the same manner as that of king boy and to crown the whole mr gunn the little military gentleman was most actively employed his canoe now darting before and now dropping behind the rest adding not a little to the imposing effect of the whole scene by the repeated discharges of his cannon brass consists of two towns one belonging to forday the other to king jacket the priests performed some curious ceremonies before disembarking evidently having reference to the whites was the result of this consultation of the fetish of the town favorable or not to the visitors the way the natives treated them would answer that question before he set foot on land richard lander to his great delight recognized a white man on the banks he was the captain of the spanish schooner at anchor in the river the narrative goes on to say quote, of all the wretched filthy and contemptible places in this world of ours none can present to the eye of a stranger so miserable an appearance or can offer such disgusting and loathsome sights as this abominable brass town dogs goats and other animals run about the dirty streets half starved whose hungry looks can only be exceeded by the famishing appearance of the men women and children which bespeaks the penury and wretchedness to which they are reduced whilst the persons of many of them are covered with odious boils and their huts are falling to the ground from neglect and decay another place called pilot town by the europeans on account of the number of pilots living in it is situated at the mouth of the river nun seventy miles from brass king forday demanded four bars before the landers left the town saying it was customary for every white man who came to brass by the river to make that payment it was impossible to evade compliance and lander drew another bill on captain lake at this price richard lander obtained permission to go down in boy's royal canoe to the english brig stationed at the mouth of the river his brother and his servants were not to be set free until the return of the king on his arrival on the brig lander's astonishment and shame was extreme when he found that lake refused to give him any help whatever the instructions given to the brothers from the ministry were read to prove that he was not an impostor but the captain answered quote, if you think that you have a blank fool to deal with you are mistaken i'll not give a blank flint for your bill i would not give a blank for it End quote. 
overwhelmed with grief at such unexpected behavior from a fellow countryman richard lander returned to boy's canoe not knowing to whom to apply and asked his escort to take him to bonnie where there were a number of english vessels the king refused to do this and the explorer was obliged to try once more to move the captain begging him to give him at least ten muskets which might possibly satisfy for day i have told you already answered lake that i will not let you have even a flint so bother me no more but i have a brother and eight people at brasstown rejoined lander and if you do not intend to pay king boy at least persuade him to bring them here or else he will poison or starve my brother before i get any assistance from a man-of-war and sell all my people if you can get them on board replied the captain i will take them away but as i have told you before you do not get a flint from me at last lander persuaded boy to go back and fetch his brother and his people the king at first declined to do so without receiving some payment on account and it was only with difficulty that he was induced to forego this command when lake found out that lander's servants were able-bodied men who could replace the sailors he had lost by death or who were down with fever he relented a little this yielding mood did not however last long for he declared that if john and his people did not come in three days he would start without them in vain did richard prove to him beyond a doubt that if he did so the white men would be sold as slaves the captain would not listen to him only answering i can't help it i shall wait no longer such inhumanity as this is fortunately very rare and a wretch who could thus insult those not merely his equals but so much his superiors ought to be pilloried at last on the twenty fourth november after weathering a strong breeze which made the passage of the bar very rough and all but impossible john lander arrived on board he had had to bear a good many reproaches from boy for whom it must be confessed there was some excuse for had he not at his own cost rescued the brothers and their people from slavery brought them down in his own canoe and fed them although very badly all on the strength of their promise to pay him with as much beef and rum as he could consume whereas he was after all roughly received by lake told that his advances would never be refunded and treated as a thief certainly he had cause to complain and anyone else would have made his prisoners pay dearly for the disappointment of so many hopes and the loss of so much money for all this however boy brought john lander safely to the brig captain lake received the travellers pretty cordially but declared his intention of making the king go back without so much as an obelisk poor boy was full of the most gloomy forebodings his haughty manner was exchanged for an air of deprecating humility an abundant meal was placed before him but he scarcely touched it richard lander disgusted with the stinginess and bad faith of lake and unable to keep his promises ransacked all his possessions and finding at last five silver bracelets and a sabre of native manufacture which he had brought from eureba he offered these to boy who accepted them finally the king screwed up courage enough to make his demand to the captain who in a voice of thunder which it was difficult to believe could have come from such a feeble body declined to accede to it enforcing his refusal with a shower of oaths and threats such as made boy who saw moreover that the vessel was ready to sail beat a hasty retreat and hurry off to his canoe thus ended the vicissitudes of the brothers lander's journey 
they were in some danger in crossing the bar but that was their last they reached fernando po and then the calabar river where they embarked on the caravan for rio janeiro at which port admiral baker then commanding the station got them a passage on board a transport ship on the ninth june they disembarked at portsmouth their first care after sending an account of their journey to lord goderich then colonial secretary was to inform that official of the conduct of captain lake conduct which was of a nature to compromise the credit of the english government orders were at once given by the minister for the payment of the sums agreed upon which were perfectly just and reasonable thus was completed and finally resolved the geographical problem which had for so many centuries occupied the attention of the civilized world and been the subject of so many different conjectures the niger or as the natives called it the jaliba or kuora is not connected with the nile and does not lose itself in the desert sands or in the waters of lake chad it flows in a number of different branches into the ocean on the coast of the gulf of guinea at the point known as cape formosa the entire glory of this discovery foreseen though it was by scientific men belongs to the brothers lander the vast extent of country traversed by the niger between yaori and the sea was completely unknown before their journey so soon as the discoveries made by lander became known in england several merchants formed themselves into a company for developing the resources of the new districts in july eighteen thirty two they equipped two steamers the cuora and the alberca which under the command of messrs laird oldfield and richard lander appended the niger as far as bakua the results of this commercial expedition were deplorable not only was there absolutely no trade to be carried on with the natives but the crews of the vessels were decimated by fever finally richard lander who had so often gone up and down the river was mortally wounded by the natives on the twenty seventh january eighteen thirty four and died on the morning of fifth february at fernando po to complete our account of the exploration of africa during the period under review we have still to speak of the various surveys of the valley of the nile the most important of which were those by caliaud rusiger and rupel frederick caliaud was born at nance in seventeen eighty seven and arrived in egypt in eighteen fifteen having previously visited holland italy sicily part of greece and european or asiatic turkey where he traded in precious stones his knowledge of geology and mineralogy won for him a cordial reception from mehemet ali who immediately on his arrival commissioned him to explore the course of the nile and the desert this first trip resulted in the discovery of emerald mines at labara mentioned by arab authors which had been abandoned for centuries in the excavations in the mountain caliaud found the lamps crowbars ropes and tools used in working these mines by men in the employ of ptolemy near the quarries the traveller discovered the ruins of a little town which was probably inhabited by the ancient miners to prove the reality of his valuable discovery he took back ten pounds weight of emeralds to mehemet ali another result of this journey was the discovery by the french explorer of the old road from coptus to berenice for the trade of india from september eighteen nineteen to the end of eighteen thirty two caliaud accompanied by a former midshipman named latorzek was occupied in exploring all the known oases east of egypt and in tracing the nile to ten degrees north latitude 
on his first journey he reached wade halfa and for his second trip he made that place his starting point a fortunate accident did much to aid his researches this was the appointment of ismail pacha son of mehemet ali to the command of an expedition to nubia to this expedition Kaliod attached himself leaving daru in november eighteen twenty Kaliod arrived on the fifth january in the ensuing year at dangala and reached mount barka in the chagai country where are a vast number of ruins of temples pyramids and other monuments the fact of this district bearing the name of Meroe had given rise to an opinion that in it was situated the ancient capital of ethiopia Kaliod was enabled to show this to be erroneous the french explorer accompanying ismail pacha in the character of a mineralogist beyond berber on a quest for gold mines arrived at shendi he then went with latorzek to determine the position of the junction of the adbara with the nile and at assur not far from seventeen degrees north latitude he discovered the ruins of an extensive ancient town it was Meroe pressing on in a southerly direction between the fifteenth and sixteen degrees of north latitude kaliod next identified the mouth of the bar el abyad or white nile visited the ruins of saba the mouth of the rahad the ancient astasaba senar the river gologa the fesiol country and the tomat a tributary of the nile finally reaching the singwe country between the two branches of the river Kaliod was the first explorer to penetrate from the north so near to the equator brown had turned back at sixteen degrees ten minutes bruce at eleven degrees to Kaliod and latorzek we owe many observations on latitude and longitude some valuable remarks on the variation of the magnetic needle and details of the climate temperature and nature of the soil together with a most interesting collection of animals and botanical specimens lastly the travellers made plans of all the monuments beyond the second cataract the two frenchmen had preluded their discoveries by an excursion to the oasis of Savoie. at the end of eighteen nineteen they left fayum with a few companions and entered the libyan desert in fifteen days and after a brush with the arabs they reached Savoie, having on their way taken measurements of every part of the temple of jupiter amman and determined as brown had done its exact geographical position a little later a military expedition was sent to this same oasis in which dravetti collected new and very valuable documents supplementing those obtained by Kaliod and latorzek they afterwards visited successively the oasis of falafre never before explored by a european that of Dekel and Karg, the chief place of the Theban oasis. The documents collected on this journey were sent to France to the care of Monsieur Jamard, who founded on them his work called Voyage à l'Oasis de Soie. A few years later, Edward Rupel devoted seven or eight years to the exploration of Nubia, Senar, Kordofan, and Abyssinia In eighteen twenty four, he ascended the White Nile for more than sixty leagues above its mouth lastly in eighteen thirty six and eighteen thirty eight joseph rusiger superintendent of the austrian mines visited the lower portion of the course of the bar el abid this official journey was followed by the important and successful surveys afterwards made by order of mehemet ali in the same regions 
End of section 16.